Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday, and they tell me I have to... Was once again twisting my arm, and so I was trying to find out which yards they are today. The ones he sent me no good. I found out that tonight or tomorrow, that is to say Thursday, is the yards have a very great merviyudachosid, which is a lot to talk about. But before I do that, I'm happy to say that today's podcast is being sponsored by friends of mine, Eli and Eva Ganauer from Seattle. Who are you? Nice enough to host me, drive me around when I visited Seattle to speak there a couple years ago. So this podcast is being sponsored by the Gnauers in memory of their uncle, Rabbi Velvel Rosen, who all of us here in Baltimore remember very well, as the late lamented Menal of Torah Institute TI, she was Kocha Vitsak, or Chair Sapleta here in Baltimore for many decades. So thanks to our sponsors. As I said... I found out that tomorrow is supposed to be the yard site of Yehuda Chassid, the famous Chassid, not the Chassid with today with the Sram Lekapot, that's the modern Chassidism. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about from a thousand years ago, the original Chassidim, if we can call that. This is a term most people won't understand necessarily because we think of Chassidic in the modern sense. The term Chassid is a very interesting one, an old one. It's all over Tehillim, isn't it? And here we're talking about a mindset of a person who says, I'm not only interested in fulfilling all the Tariyag mitzvahs that we usually think about, you know, keeping Shabbos and um, your Tzolanah should be kosher and, and kosher in general and all that. That's important, don't worry, that's important too. But among the Tariyag mitzvahs are two that are not so easy to do. Not if you take it seriously. One of them is called Avas Hashem, the other one is called Yeras Hashem. Love the Lord and fear the Lord, if fear is the right word. How do you do that, other than in a cliché manner? An intelligent person who wants to think along those lines has to put some time and thought into it. And the person who undertakes to implement that or take that seriously, however he or she does do that, that's a chassid. So pious is not really the right word, but that's the word they use in English. But uh, here you have people a thousand years ago who are thinking like this. Let me be very direct. Rabbi Huda Chassid is a contemporary of the Rambam, of Maimonides. Pretty much, they lived uh, pretty much the same time. I think he was 10 years younger than the Rambam, something like that. And so you're talking about somebody who lives in the 1100s and early 1200s. I think he lived like 1150 to 1220, 1217. And unlike the Rambam, though, he's Ashkenaz. The two main Jewish groups we see now from a retrospect that emerged in the Middle Ages were the Sephardim and Ashkenazim, as we know. They're not the only ones, but the two most significant ones. The Rambam and Rabbi Huda Chassid are contemporaries, but they live very different types of lives. The Rambam, as I'm sure you know, was a Sephardi who was born in Islamic Spain and had to flee there and lived in Islamic Egypt. And that's a certain culture, and... Without going into the details, and at the risk of being overly superficial, let me just say 
that's a culture which featured what you would today call, perhaps in a vulgar fashion, Torah Mata or Torah Derech Heretz, an engagement with not only Torah culture at a very, very deep level, but also with outside culture. By contrast, in Ashkenaz, in those years, there was no outside culture, meaning, unlike in the Arabic world in which you had secular studies, and not only just religious Islamic studies, by contrast, in Christian countries, where the Ashkenaz was located in France and Spain, all you had in those centuries was Christian stuff. And so a Jew's not going to be interested in teachings in the New Testament and lives of the saints and canon law and all that. So if you want to be Jewish and intellectual, in Ashkenaz, long ago, the only way to go is inside, into the Torah. That's why you have all these very from types, you know, Rashi, Tosis, and the others, which all they're into is just Torah, Torah, Torah. There's no Torah Mada or Torah Tercheretz or anything like that. There was nothing on the outside to be interested in. It's like a Mashkiach's paradise. There was no TV, no internet, no movies, no television, no uh, newspapers, I mean, uh, nothing to distract you. There was nothing out there. And so the culture is going to be very, very Jewish. Now, having said that, where, where does the Chassid fit into this? You had a group called the Hasidi Ashkenaz, meaning in the 1100s or 1200s, shall we say, they're developed in these old German communities, this very um, religious attitude in which, as I said before, a person says, I know I'm doing these mitzvahs and those things, but am I really doing it the way God wants me to do it? And do I have an Avas Hashem, as I said before? And what does that actually mean? Uh, the person who thinks along these lines is not your average person, because, as I told you the other day with Rizal Slander, two people can fight over who gets an aliyah. You know, each one thinks he's doing the right thing. The Chassid goes the extra mile, does he not? The Chassid, in the old sense that I'm talking about, says, I want to go... Lifting me sure is in. I want to be, let's, as we say today, machmer. Now, a lot of people today don't like that. They say it's hard enough to be ekel. It's hard enough to keep all the laws and the mitzvahs. And there's no question that that's true. Not to be funny about it. If you're in the rabbi business, you know this. But then there's the person who says, I'd like to go the extra mile just because I want to, because I, I think this would, I should, would, would like me to do. A lot of people aren't even philosophers about that. They just want to do the right thing. I'll tell you a story. I had a couple of students years ago, and he called me up on uh, between Pesach and uh, Shabbos. And he said, Reb, what's the story? We're going, can I go to a baseball game in uh, Sphero? And it's a long time ago. And I said, you can go. I mean, it doesn't say in the Shulchan Aruch, thou shalt not go to a baseball game in Sphero. I don't know if I do that. I'm not, it's not necessarily in the spirit of the time. But technically you could go. He said, oh, great. Thanks a lot. That's all I want to know. And so I'm a week or two or three later, and I said, who won the game? He said, you know, in the end, we thought about it, we didn't go. Well, and then he goes, that's called Hasidus. You could do it, but you, 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 whether you realize it or not, you're not going to do it. To go, go, go more than you necessary. If I asked that guy, why, why did you take that decision? He probably wouldn't give me an answer. Wouldn't be able to. That's a Hasidus. So the movement of Hasidi Ashkenaz, they called it, it wasn't a movement. You didn't join, but it's a, tr- a religious trend. These are people of the old type who say that they delight in um, being very strict on themselves, they delight, not because they're uh, masochists, because they want to show their love for God by demonstrating physically that they're doing without or they're doing more than necessary. And this is their way of expressing themselves. If you're like me, if you're an Ashkenazic Jew, our ancestors were like that. That's how they came up with all the Chumras in Yeridea. That's how they came up with, frankly, that's how they came up with Sphira, which is not in the Gemara. And they came up with the Three Weeks, which is not in the Gemara. And all kinds of things like that. They wanted to show 
how much they feel the death of the uh, students of Rabbi Kiva. They wanted to show how much they feel the Bain Hamitzarim, and other times of the year as well. It's a certain mindset, and our ancestors, especially the women, were very much into this. Another aspect of the old Hasidus, which is no longer around today, is this real heavy obsession and preoccupation with sin. If you didn't have error, it's a big deal. It's not a clean cut. You can't say, whoops, made a mistake, but I keep going and, you know, leave that in the past. No, no, no. Chatosi negdi somid, as WML says in Tehillim. As a matter of fact, Nun Aleph, the 51st Psalm, which King David confessed in the Bathsheba, is like the Bible of the old Hasidus. You look over there, take a look, you'll see. In the 51st Psalm, where he talks about, I feel terrible that I was found out with the sin of Hashem, and I realized what I did wrong by doing this Avera, and cleanse me, purge me, uh, do it again. Uh, don't uh, don't destroy me, but uh, chastise me, and I feel so bad, and I can't get over it. As I said, Chatasi Negdi Sami, wherever I look, I see the sin in front of me, and I'm struggling to figure out how to atone for it, and use the language of obsession over and over again. Harab Kapseni, Mechei Peshoi, uh, he even says, you know, Michel Galbi, make me whiter than snow, which is not possible. And all these are, are indications that David Melch fully realizes the magnitude of a chait. It's not a kleinikite. And like, what are you going to do about it? And this was once upon a time considered the proper way to act. And you shouldn't treat a transgression that you did lightly. And you should really try to uh, burn it out or, you know, uh, show extreme seriousness, seriousness about it and wonder if he ever got rid of it. Out of this attitude emerged the old Hasidic custom, I'm saying again, the old Hasidus, of teshuva in the sense of penance. We use the word teshuva all the time, but it can be translated two ways, either as repentance or as penance. Repentance is inward. You know, you feel bad. Charata al-avar, kabbalah promise not to do it again, you genuinely, honestly feel bad over what you did, you realize the magnitude of sin, and that is your teshuva. Now I'll tell you what penance means. You hit yourself, you whack yourself, you fast, and if you take it to the extremes, like you find in the Sefer Hasidim, written by Riyudah Hasid and his circle, they have a whole schedule of penances. So if somebody ate something treif, you know, uh, even by accident, you fast for days and days and days, and, you know, you burn your tongue, and uh, other Averis, you cover, you, listen to this, you cover yourself with honey, you let yourself get stung by bees, you sit in freezing water, those are the easy ones. It's a whole culture in which the sinner wants to purge himself or herself physically on this world for the sin that they did, so that when they die and they get to the next world, that'll be off the slate, because one second in Olam Haba or Gehenim is a lot worse than anything you can come up with over here. And that's why in the old Hasidus and the old Way of thinking, uh, many times if somebody did an Avera, they would go to Bezdin, and Bezdin would prescribe whatever the punishment is, and sometimes Bezdin would say, you don't need to be punished for this and this reason. And the sinner will solicit a penance from the court and say, just tell me what I need to do to purge this. And no matter how harsh it was, uh, the, the, the person who solicited this will be happy. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. There's a famous tube I quote all the time from the Maram Lublin, in which a guy in Poland in the 1500s shot somebody by accident, and it was the other guy's fault because they were having target practice for the Jewish, uh, what shall I say, the Jewish National Guard, like the Shomrim. And uh, it was legal. And 
they had a sign, don't go into somebody's backyard because there's a target practice. And a guy stupidly walked in and naturally got killed. So there's no question that's the fault of the victim. But the perpetrator, the guy who shot him, even though it was totally by accident, is conscience-stricken. It's the old Hasidus. He said, why was it that, that God so ordained matters that I was the cause of the death of another Jew? What is the reason why? It's a terrible burden I have on myself. And he goes to the basin and he says, tell me what I need to do to purge this. In other words, legally speaking, he's, guilt, he's innocent. Legally speaking, he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it's, it's a tragedy, of course, that he killed somebody, but it's not his fault. But we're talking beyond the legal. That's what I just said before. The world of the chassid is beyond the legal. And he says, tell me what I need to do. And I remember the basin said something like, crawl on your knees from your house to the cemetery around the gravestone so many times, lie down in front of the shoal so when people walk in from Michamar, if they step on you, uh, get yourself whipped for so and so many days just before Marav when they say Vuhurachum and a couple other things like that. And then, they, and then the basin says, like this, we're letting you off light because you're a weak man and you have children and all the rest of it. Otherwise, we'd really lower the boom on you. Like, Whoa! Nobody would think of it like that nowadays. You see, nowadays things change. Nowadays, ever since the Baal Shem Tov came along, he perceived long ago, back in the 18th century, that these methods don't necessarily work, and that actually, in the modern man, it leads to counter, uh, uh, counterintuitive, leads to depression. And depression is the tool of the Yitzhahara. So if a person said, woe is me, I've done such a terrible sin, it's a terrible business, and it really is a terrible business, objectively it is something terrible. But if a person bangs his head against the wall, or herself against the wall, and says, I'm terrible, I'm a sinner, all the rest of it, you just collapse into depression. And when you're depressed, that's where the Yitzhahara wants you to be, because you can't get up and do any mitzvahs. And so, Baal Shanta said, maybe in early generations, people could handle this sort of thing, but nowadays, instead of uh, burning a fire, go to the mikvah or something like that, you know... Uh, you have to be more uh, sensitive to the human needs. That's the modern Hasidism. But Rabbi Huda Hasid, who's Yartzis tomorrow, sent to the old type. You'll find a lot of this penance and flagellation and all kinds of other things of which are strange. But, 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 there's a lot more than just that. He wrote a book called Sefer Hasidim. When I was young, the old historians used to say it's a composite work written by many authors who lived at that time. Interestingly, the more modern historians of the last 40 years said, no, Rabbi Hidal Chassid wrote it, get over it. And I would advise you, if you have the ability, to read the Sefer Chassidim. It's quite unusual. It's not so popular nowadays. Once upon a time, it used to be the Musar book out there in the Yeshiva world. I'm talking about back in the Nodah Behuda's time and in the, before that, in the 1400s, 1500s, 1600s, before the Masil Zishon was even written. And the Sefer Chassidim is a very strange book because it's got like something like... 1,200 or 2,000 paragraphs, depending on which version you get. And one has none to do with the other. And they're mainly a bunch of stories and moral lessons. And there's no system order to it. So you have to plow through. But you get the most unusual and amazing stories. And especially the ones that are not politically correct. Because a real chassid isn't into frumkite, if you understand what I'm saying. Just because the party line. It's not a matter of how you dress or anything like that. But he talks about the real thing. And so you have in the Sefer Chassidim... All sorts of, uh, um, how to say, observations from the right to the left. Um, you have, for example, I remember, don't even go to a wedding, which is the slightest bit of priestess, as you can imagine over there. On the other hand, he tells, uh, he, he says, if you have a choice who to, who to marry, uh, a, a Gioris 
or a Jewish girl, and the Yerush is nice and marry her, which you won't find usually in Haredi Swarm. Um, he talks about the biggest sin. This will surprise you. What's the biggest sin in his book? And he went through all the sins to cheat a guy in business. Okay? Um, he says that uh, you should be davening for your great-great-great-great-grandchildren who you don't know yet. Because some lucky thing might happen to you because an ancestor um, prayed for you long, long ago. So if you're somebody whose parents or grandparents survived the Holocaust, maybe it's because somebody long, long, long ago, you know, uh, uh, davened for them back in the 1400s. Who even thinks about hundreds of years away from where you are now? A chassid does, or at least in his opinion, a chassid does. He has wonderful stories. He has wonderful stories. One of them was, I remember, there was a lady who, she didn't like the fact that her husband didn't give tzedakah and he didn't buy farm in the Middle Ages. If you don't spend money to have books copied, there won't be any books. And so she says she's not going to go to a mikvah. I, this is a real story. Well, go to a mikvah because he won't give tzedakah and he won't buy any farm. And they, they had a big quarrel, as you can understand. And they went to the rabbi, to Yudah Chassid, and he said, I want to speak to each one of you separately. He called the guy in the room. He said, I guess, you should kiss your lucky stars if you have a wife like this. What's wrong with you? She's right and you're wrong. And you should be glad that you have somebody who's showing you the right way. And then when he threw the guy out, he called the wife and he said, listen, this is the wrong way to go. You have the right idea, but that's not the way to do it. Don't say I'm not going to the mikvah. And he spoke to her over here. So he spoke to each one in the way that was appropriate for them. And that's how he patched up the marriage. But the whole story itself is so Ashkenazic and so uh, German from... 800, 900 years ago, that's actually, uh, you know, it's like crazy. You can imagine what a person like this has to say about talking in Joel. My goodness. Uh, he says a lot of things, are, uh, like I say again, so I'm going by memory over here. If you learn with a Chavrusa better, learn with a Chavrusa. If not, learn by yourself. You know, you find that whatever works for you. Uh, you should always look for a mace mitzvah. What's a mace mitzvah? A mitzvah that nobody else is performing. <laughs> okay? Um, there, again, it's close to 2,000, depending on which version you have, it's close to 2,000 paragraphs. And each one, not everyone, but many, many of them tell little stories, and uh, they're in every aspect of life. And do not expect to find the answer that you think you're going to find. That's what makes reading through the Sefer Hasidim so interesting. I have my own copy over here. It's marked up more than any other book in my library. Because each time it comes up with some wild thing, that I wouldn't believe that he would say it. So I don't know if I've whetted your appetite to ever look at the Sefer Hasidim, uh, but they have them in nice editions now. Years ago, about 20 years ago, they made an English version. I think it was that press that went out of business, uh, Joshua Aronson. It was actually a very, very good translation, Sefer Hasidim from Aram Yaakov Finkel, passed away, uh, the Book of the Pious. It's I would really recommend that very strongly if anybody could get a hold of it. And uh, this will introduce you to a world that most of us don't know, because now... The Sfarm that are popular are like from the Mesilla Sisharm onwards, and the modern Hasidism, which is a very, very different kind of business. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it expresses piety in a different way. There is so much more to say in this subject, but I don't want to overstay my welcome. Rabbi Yudha Hasid wrote a famous tzavo, or will, in which he said all kind of wild things. That's where you say you shouldn't marry a girl with the same name as your mother and all that. But maybe I'll save that for next year, Mir Sashem, because that's that's a talk in in and of itself. But the Sefer Hasidim, the Sefer Hasidim, there you get the uh, idea of what life was like among the ones who wanted to be not just the average Jew or not just the one who's uh, popular in the community, but the one who wants to do things. You know, he writes, for example, 
don't be the one who shows off in yeshiva because then your learning is not lishma. Yeah, you should just learn just to know it and um, and have in mind when you're learning that you're serving Hashem. And if you don't do that, it's no good. I mean, who thinks along those lines? So um, I would therefore recommend as I close to take a look at the Sefer Hasidim. He lived in South Germany. You know, he's born in the Rhineland and Spires and lived in Regensburg, which is in Bavaria. That's where you had the old, old, old Ashkenaz type of jewelry. And uh, if you take a look, either online or in the Sefer Hasidim tomorrow, when it's his yard side, I bet you that'll bring you good luck. See, I don't sound like a superstitious person, but when it comes to the Revit HaChosid, I guess I am. Have a good day. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.